You are tuning into Latino Politics and News with Tony Diaz on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston, Texas. The era of Hispandering is over. Happy Ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month. This is Tony Diaz. Welcome to Latino Politics and News. We have an amazing lineup to kick off the festivities. And of course, we're broadcasting right now, but we are also launching an event in every Houston City Council District. That's 16 events because every Houston City Council District is a Latino district. You're going to find out more about the programmings on the ground as well as remote. Today, we're celebrating by talking about champions of our culture. These are folks that are either elected or running for office that are sticking up for policies that help our community. We'll be talking to a Tejana who made history as one of the first Tejanas to serve in Congress, our hero, Sylvia Garcia. Really great to have her back on the program, hear some of the initiatives she's working on, and to hear her celebrate the launch of our Ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month program. We're also talking to Sri Kulkarni, who is running to be elected. He is the Democratic candidate for the Congressional District 22, which covers parts of Fort Bend. We welcome him back to the program, and he's going to break down the demographics of his district, but also he's going to flow in Spanish. He's going to tell us what he thinks of Hispanic Heritage Month. And I want to point out that we are open to all the candidates. Some candidates don't call us back. What are your thoughts on that? I'd like to find out what you think of that. This is a major moment in history where our community is being basically hit from so many sides. If we can't talk to you now, are you going to talk to us once you're elected? We'll, we'll explore that more and more. But I want to keep it extremely positive we're going to be celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month in a way that no one else in the country has, and we hope that everyone will later. This It's really sad because, of course, because of COVID-19, Las Fiestas Patrias Parade, which is a 50-year tradition during Hispanic Heritage Month, has been canceled because of COVID-19. We're picking up the baton. Our ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month festivity is going to be creative and fun. It's going to feature events on the ground as well as remote. And it's going to range from everything such as celebrations of Guatemalan folkloric culture to Mayan culture to Aztec dancers. We're talking about the Afro-Latino experience, the Jewish-Latino experience. We're going to have poetry in Spanish, English, Spanglish, and more. History, culture, in a really unique way that's going to bring us together, celebrate all, all, all the spectrum of what it means to be Latino, and really showcase Houston's ingenuity, creativity, and shows that we stick together. Thanks for being part of it. To get the full lineup, visit nuestrapalabra.org. want to give a shout out to all the city council representatives who have supported us. You can see the full list at nuestrapalabra.org. Additionally, I want to thank all of the Nuestra Palabra community representatives who've been really coming through for us, designing some great programs. We want to thank our crew for donating their cultural capital to the show. Leti Lopez, Rodrigo Bravo, who mixes the show remotely, Claudia Soler Alfonso, Jesse Aranda Comer, our summer intern through Rice University, Antonio Diaz, another summer intern, Lauri Flores, Stefano Cavasa, and Al Castillo, president of LULEC Council 60. 
This is Tony Diaz with Latino Politics and News every Tuesday here on KPFT 90.1 FM. Join us for Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Having Their Say, Tuesdays too. And look for me Sundays on What's Your Point on Fox 26 Houston. Thanks so much for tuning in. Llevo tiempo diciéndoselo Que algo mejor se merece Perdiendo su tiempo sigue Sabiendo que no me pertenece Y desde que la conocí Se va con su amiga para la disco Pero cuando le sube la nota Siempre vuelve a mí Me dice vida mía Ya sé que tengo que dejar que tú hagas tus locuras Tú mi locura baby Pasan las horas y más me pide más for tuning in to Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. We are celebrating the launch of our Ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month campaign by welcoming back our dear friend, our hero, Silvia Garcia, who has made history as one of the first Tejanas in Congress. First of all, big virtual hug. Welcome back home. How are you? Well, first of all, big hug, gran abrazo back. It is, it's always good to be home, and uh, the only part that, that I don't like about being home these days is that my office is now at home, because we're doing so much from home that it's almost hard to, to, to separate the two, that, that every time I see my house now, it's like, oh God, back to more work. <laughs> but you know, it's just my honor every single day to know that I'm there to represent, you know, the people in Houston and, and across this country uh, who don't have a voice. Uh, who don't have someone at the table uh, to speak up for them. Uh, and let me tell you, there's so many things going on uh, that while we do celebrate uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, and we have so much to celebrate because we've given so much to this country. You know, we've, we've our culture, our heritage, you know, our people. You know, there's still so much more work to do, Tony. There's still so much work to do. Uh, so for us in Congress, uh, and the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, we try to focus on making sure um, that whatever we do in any law that we pass or any of our agenda, that we do not leave Latinos behind. That's powerful. And that is the exact kind of cariño and wisdom that we've been hoping we would get at the national level. And we've got it now. And I think because of this epidemic, it really shows how representation matters, how who we elect matters, because it, everything is life or death right now. I mean, there's so many topics we can touch on. L let's delve into the COVID-19 epidemic because it is having this disproportionate impact on Latinos. Uh, what are your thoughts about how the federal government has approached this and what we should be doing on the ground to help our community? Well, first of all, uh, President Trump and the White House have absolutely failed 
failed not only our country, but has failed people in vulnerable populations, including Latinos. They have failed. You know, this administration worries more about covering up their failures than they worry about whether or not people are covering up their faces. They're still in denial. As he said in that interview, he tries to play it down because he knows it reflects on him and it might impact his election. This president is only concerned about his reelection, not the people, not how we're hurting, not that we need testing, not that we need tracing, not that we need masks, not that we need our jobs back, our schools to be able to be open again. He's just worried about him, his friends, and his reelection. Mm. So it's been a total failure. And who has it impacted the most, in my view, us and people of vulnerable populations that are still having to work despite this virus. The jobs that, that many Latinos across the country perform, Tony, are not jobs that you can do from home. You can't work in the restaurant, hotel, you know, industry, which is predominantly where many of us are uh, as Latinos, from home. You can't cut the grass from home. You can't uh, clean a house or a building from home. You can't uh, work in a meat packing plant or a chicken packing plant from home. We are there mm. despite everything. You know, I used to tell people, and I'll say it again today, yes, we have to thank those doctors and those nurses who are fighting in the hospitals, but let's not forget that the people who come behind them to clean up, to put away all those uh, materials, to, 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 to uh, uh, help the patients or their technicians or, or the people who actually empty the trash and, and clean up and sanitize the hospital for the next run of patients, those are where a lot of our people of color, the people they're immigrant people of Latino descent. So we need to remember that we're there no matter what. And this president has failed all of us. Uh, and it's impacted us more because we do a lot of the jobs that you can't do from home. So it's no wonder, Tony, that the numbers in Texas are disturbing. We are really at a point where uh, we are seeing 52% uh, of the deaths uh, in Texas are Latino mm. when we're only 40% of the population. In Houston, most of the deaths, uh, over half of them every day, are Latino. It's our people that are dying. And no other time have we seen the disparate results of anything like we're seeing it today. And people will tell you, well, it's because you all have the high risk factors, you know, the obesity, the diabetes, the hypertension, Yes, because we've also had lack, lack of access to health care. We've talked about that. We have less access to, to you know, continuum, continuum of care because we don't have insurance. Yes, we've talked about that. But now, man, it's in red letters. Our people are dying. So we've got to do more. We've got to put more pressure on everybody from, from city government all the way to the White House uh, because everybody needs to do a little bit better. It's a great point. It's as if this epidemic is laying bare all these unfair policies, discriminatory views, hypocrisy, because you've got the Trump administration vilifying 
members of our community, and- especially the undocumented. But like you said, during the height of the sh- of the shutdown, I would still hear the hammers banging from the carpenters building the casitas up and down the road. Last week, I counted 24 new constructions all Latinos working and hanging by by the, you know, a little board on top of roofs. So now it's costing us our lives. That's a great point that you're making about essential work and how our community is overlooked. I mean, I haven't even talked about the agriculture workers. Uh, and then my friends in California are just rabid about this because it is so hard because those 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 fruits and vegetables and all those commodities that to, to put food on everybody's table are still being picked. And they don't have the PPE. They can't social distance. You saw what's happened at the meatpacking plants and the chicken packing plants. Mm. You know, they're not doing it. And But people are showing up to work because they need the jobs. They're the ones that are coming sanitizing after everybody else leaves. And And here's the problem with this administration. I mean, think about it. Most people don't know that it was Ronald Reagan who designated Hispanic Heritage Month mm. a Republican. And here we are at the beginning of Hispanic Heritage Month in 2020, and we have a president who is not open like Ronald Reagan, but in fact slams the door of Latinos left and right in every arena. It's not just in immigration, in every arena. So it really matters who's voting. It really matters how you vote. Uh, and for me, of course, I'm a Joe Biden person that been from early on. And Joe will put it into this and he'll build back better. And he's going to have Latinos at the table. You saw that. He had uh, uh, Governor Grisham, uh, Lohan Grisham, uh, speaking at the convention. He had former Secretary Ilga Solis speaking at the convention. He's got former Secretary Ken Salazar leading the Latino uh, Council efforts. You know, he has already demonstrated that he's going to be inclusive. We're going to have a seat at the table with Joe. And that's what matters because then those people can speak up and remind him if they have to. But, you know, Joe Biden, I know the guy. I mean, he's got a big heart. And for many of us, you know, he's one of those what I call Matthew Democrats. I mean, he's Catholic. He's a firm believer in helping the poor and the most vulnerable and, and doing as, as, as Jesus has taught us. I mean, he's going to be there about taking care of people. He's not going to forget that. You, you mentioned having a seat at the table. Really what is mind-boggling is that at the beginning of Donald Trump's administration, he said he was going to hire only the best Let's not talk about how many of those particular folks have wound up indicted or in jail, but this administration has had the least number of Latinos involved in in a long time. So that you 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 alluded to how the undocumented are being treated. What's not spoken about, as you addressed, is how U.S. citizen Latinos, Mexican Americans, are being treated. Beginning with Judge Guriel, who was born in Indiana, who was presiding over the uh, Trump University lawsuit, who Donald Trump said could not fitfully rule over that because he was Mexican. And as you're touching on, he, he said he would only hire the best. He doesn't think we're the best because we're not in there. So you're saying it would be different under Joe Biden because he would include us in different categories, probably cabinet level, surrogates, and, and, for, and, and other parts of the government. Is that what you're getting at? 
Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, uh, I mean, Joe uh, was there during, you know, working side by side with, with President Obama. He was there side by side working with Ken Salazar and Neil Solis and a number of other cabinet appointees uh, from, from the Obama administration. And remember, you know, Joe has been there. He knows how, how to get this done. Um, and, and, and it's such a big difference. He knows about governing. He knows about being inclusive. And he's demonstrated it in his own work. But it's demonstrated, too, in the campaign. So I think that we're not going to have to worry uh, uh, about those issues with Joe. I think the, the, the bigger worry is uh, making sure that our people vote to make sure that he'll not only it's going to be in his heart, but he knows that politically he has to also do it. Because, frankly, you know, here in Texas, things are still looking pretty tight, almost 50-50. It's statistical dead heat in terms of between Biden and, and uh, um, the man in the White House. You know, but there's other southwestern states where they're, they're, it's, it's not as, as, as even. Uh, so I think we're going to have to really come out and vote. If we want to make the change that's necessary, if we want to make sure that we're, we're part of the, 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 the chemistry and the landscape in this country as, as voters and as being politically active, we have to come out and vote. This is not a time to have second thoughts. And we have to come out and, and come out early. Uh, uh, there will be social distancing. There will be, you know, the gloves. There will be... Uh, everything that's necessary to make us safe to vote. And I'm saying vote early only because there's been so much stuff coming out of the White House and that man's mouth putting down uh, uh, mail ballot voting mm -hmm. that unless you could vote by mail ballot and mail it two weeks before the date, don't risk it. Go and vote early. Make a plan today and know where you're going to vote and how you're going to vote. Check your voter registration card today. Make sure that it's straight, that you're registered, that you're at the right precinct, because the election day is going to be too late. And then we just have to come out to make the change that we want and to make the change that we want to get Trump and all his Republican enablers out of the, 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 the government. This is a way to do it. I mean, there's a lot at stake at this next election, and it is about the future of our country. It's about keeping a democracy in our country and making sure that our kids have a shot at the American dream. That's what's at stake. I'm really glad you're bringing up civic engagement because, yes, it's vital. I think people don't recognize some of the acts of voter suppression because it's all linked. We've got COVID-19 shutting things down. You're correct. It seems like Donald Trump is trying to convince people not to get involved by discouraging them from voting by mail. Additionally, we're talking also about the census because that's another way that we're counted. We had the president try and put the question of if you're a citizen onto the census, which to me smacked of suppression and might have chilled our participation in the 2020 census. And then here comes COVID. What are your thoughts about how important the census is right now for our community especially? Well, I've been disappointed as, as, as a community where we're not, uh, um, you know, the percent that have complied and responded is, is not where it needs to be. Uh, last time I looked, I think it was still in the, the mid-50s. We've got to do better 
we cannot be afraid. It is it takes you less than five minutes. It's like ten simple questions. They don't ask you about immigration status. Uh, no one will. No, no one else will use this information. It's private. It's confidential. Don't be afraid. And and it's important because. If you want your kids to have those school lunch programs, if you want your kids to be able to have those free shots, if you want your kids to be able to have those scholarships, if you want your kids to be able to 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 uh, have the breakfast program, all of that comes from federal monies. All of that, the clinics, all the things that are important to us, those come from federal dollars, and how much we get is based on the numbers. And let me give you one example, Tony. Right now, we're still debating, you know, we're still trying to get the Heroes Act moving because we passed it over 100 uh, days ago. Uh, the Senate hasn't moved on it. The big sticker is the money for local governments. If, if we, got, we get that money for local governments to help Sylvester Turner keep all the police and fire and the the garbage workers working to get sure that Lena has the money for all the emergency stuff that she needs to do when we have a storm. That takes money. A lot of that comes from the federal government. The rental assistance program the mayor has put together, that's federal dollars. And that's based on how many people there, there are counted in Houston. And you know how much the city of Houston stands to get from those heroes dollars? $1.7 billion. Wow. You know what that could do for the city of Houston? We could keep the next police cadet class. Mm. We could keep the next firefighter class. We could keep every library open, every park open. We wouldn't have to make any cuts. You know, even a city like the size of Jacinto City, uh, they would get $5.2 million. Lena would get $2.6 billion. Wow. Think of everything she could do. Uh, in more programs uh, and, and keep county government going with, with flooding uh, 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 and for all the emergency stuff she has to do. That's a lot of money. But Republicans think that, no, it's their responsibility, and if they go bankrupt, well, so be it. You know, that's why we have to be counted so that we get our fair share of dollars uh, and that they come down to make sure that that we can have a good quality of life here here locally. You addressed the whole issue when President Trump wanted to put the question of if you're a citizen or not on the 2020 census. That whole escapade came and went, and that was not valid. But then the president turned around, and he told the Census Bureau that they must not count folks who are not citizens. Um what was he thinking? And that didn't work, correct? Let's clarify that no, for our it's listeners. Been, yeah, it's been litigated still, I think. And then the other thing he's done recently is he moved up uh, when the count ends and when it needs to be turned in because originally it was supposed to go on. I, for, I forget, I think it's like till November. He's moved it up uh, to just one more month. So he's trying to do everything he can uh, to control those numbers because here's here's the issue. Right now, if Texas were to be counted the way we think it should, we would get three more members of Congress wow. in, in this state. Three more. Wow. And those may be in areas that they cannot control because the growth is in Houston, Houston region, the Dallas region, and I think in the Valley. So those are not areas that predictably would be for Republican 
new members of Congress. It would probably be three more Democrats. They don't want that. So it's all about politics. It's all about politics. They want to be able to control redistricting and they want to be able to get more seats and to make sure that the Democrats don't get any more. So that's the politics that, 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 that drives some of this. But what's important is that we've got to be counted because we want our fair share of dollars. You know, we, we, we can kind of, as every citizens, we can kind of let the politicians fight out, you know, fight the lines and stuff. But the count is really critical because that doesn't change. The per capita count will, will, those dollars will come down, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, but it has to be for the right programs. And that's why voting matters. Because we would want programs that help people. Uh, we would want programs that would help our seniors, our veterans, our children. Uh, and that's why voting does matter. So it sounds as if we have the quantifiable data that says, here we are, consider us, regardless of immigration status, because babies you know, babies have to be counted, etc., that that's potent. Here in Houston, part of our Ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month campaign, we wanted to have an event in every Houston City Council district because people don't realize that every Houston City Council district is Latino. The lowest percentage of Latinos are in District G, which is still 18%. So even in the lowest you know, population for Latinos, we're still one in every five residents in there. And the numbers just go up. City Council A, which is not considered Latino district, is 56%. Now, you're talking about redistricting at the federal level. At the local level, those city council districts are a mess. Like, they've been drawn out of, in a way that has seemed to, in my opinion, under undermine the Latino vote. Is that how redistricting might look at the at the federal level because those are separate but those are up those come up again after the census correct right you know the redistricting numbers come out and, and then the, the congressional lines are drawn and then and all this will happen in Austin and I think we're fortunate that uh, State Senator Carol Alvarado will be on is on the redistricting committee uh, in this on the for the the Senate uh, I don't know if anyone right now is, uh, or any of our uh, House members are on the, the House side, uh, but it starts with the Congressional, then they'll draw the Senate, uh, State Senate, and, and House district lines, uh, and then, of course, City Council will, will do theirs, and theirs is at a different schedule because they're, they're local, but the county will draw their lines. And that's going to be another critical one because, remember, the last time we drew uh, uh, Harris County Commissioner Lines, uh, they made the district that I used to have, that Adrian Garcia now has, more Republican, which is why Mormon won. So we got to make sure that we keep a watchful eye on, on Commissioner's Court and what they do with their lines uh, to make sure that we continue to have a Latino district. And then it, it all trickles down, but, but that's why it's so important because it does trickle down and it will impact all of us. Wow. Thank you so much for putting in perspective because people may think they're abstract numbers, but it really does shape our everyday lives for for the next decade. You know, all we've been able to talk about is a little bit about COVID, a little about census. I want to give you a little time to, to let us know what are some of the projects that you're looking forward to coming down the line because it sounds like your to-do list is <laughs> reams and reams and reams of paper long. 
Well, it is, and I tell you one one thing that that I think your listeners would want to have me say just a few words. I want to assure everyone uh, that the investigation on Vanessa Guillen's death continues. You know, it started when we got involved and brought more light to it and helped the family, uh, helped during the search, helped during all the the untimely uh, murder, uh, horrific murder, through the funeral. Uh, and now, because there was a, another incident so similar with sexual uh, uh, harassment, uh, and again, missing soldier, and then he gets found dead. His last name was Fernandez. Uh now we do have an investigation going on the whole thing, Fort Hood, uh, wow. because it almost seems wow. it almost seems like there's something in the water at Fort Hood. There's just been too many missing soldiers, too many uh, uh, cases of of you know death, uh, whether of their uh, at their own uh, volition or 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 potential homicides. We don't know. But I think it's like the number now is either eight or nine. Uh, so now we are now going to, to have a bigger scope investigation. They're blending both in and bringing in all the different uh, facts of all the different cases. And it will be a comprehensive investigation done by two subcommittees from two different committees with our oversight responsibility. And I will be joining them, of course, uh, not this weekend, but uh no, it is coming this next weekend. Um, uh, in Fort Hood, uh, there will be a congressional delegation going to Fort Hood to start a, a more formal investigation of the whole thing. we got to look, uh, Tony, beyond just the sexual assault and, and look at the culture, the command, the dynamics there. I mean, what is going on? Something is going on. we got to get to the bottom of it. Because it, it started with, with one case, but now we're hearing too many too often. And our job is to protect the soldiers who are being trained to protect us. The Army has failed them. Congress cannot let that happen again, and we do not want to fail them. So um, you'll be hearing more about that as the days progress, and I think that um, people should be rest assured that I will be fighting every day until I see that justice is there for Vanessa Guillen, and that will only happen if we do have a bill, uh, which we do have drafted, and we'll, 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 I'm working on it, and I'm, I'm a sponsor, to make sure that no soldier is ever afraid to complain about sexual harassment because of, of retaliation or bullying or, or being targeted in any way. They shouldn't be afraid, mm. and there's gotta be a system to support that. Well, thank you for being our voice. Yet one more reason that we needed someone from our community to represent us. We're speaking with Nuestra Campeona, the voice of the people who's made history and continues to be true to her community, Congresswoman Sylvia Garcia. Thank you so much for all you do. It is wonderful to get to get an update from you. And you are here at home whenever you need to spread the word on anything. Gracias. Thank you so much. And everybody have a happy Hispanic Heritage Month. And, and uh, soon we'll be able to get back together and hopefully uh, be able to celebrate El, el Grito El 16 de Septiembre 
and another great parade, but we'll all have to do everything virtually this time. So, feliz 16 de septiembre y que viva México. Que viva. Estaba tarde, pero escuché tu voz en mis notas de voz y salí a buscarte. Yeah. Yo sé que lo nuestro no funcionó, pero nunca es tarde. Eso me pasa por probarte. No hiciste nada para extrañarte. Eh. Y pasó noches frías y ya cuando yo oh, veo tus fotografías, solamente quiero chingarte, sal de esa. Baja la milla pa' quedarme contigo Ponte los victoria y te guías Si tiene frío pues toma Que hace mucho que no eras mía Oh, oh, oh Ya en mi cama sentía frío Te quiero pa' calentar ni que estés al lado mío Me dio con buscarte aunque no sea pa' amarte Porque siempre te pones lo que quiero arrancarte Tú conoces mis debilidades Y yo de ti conozco lo que nadie sabe Por eso es que te busco no te encuentro, pero qué rico la pasamos en el momento. Tú conoces mis debilidades y yo de ti conozco lo que nadie sabe. Por eso es que te busco, a veces no te encuentro. Mami, yo espero que no se haga tarde. Cuando yo yeah, miro tus fotografías, solamente quiero You're tuning in to Latino Politics and News as we continue our Ultimate Hispanic Heritage campaign. We are pleased to talk to someone who may soon be representing Texas as a congressman. His name is Shri Kulkarni. First, welcome back to the program, Shri. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. It's always a pleasure to be on your program. It's uh, entertaining and educational, and I'm glad that you're you're getting these messages out to, uh, especially to voters this year, because you know that the uh, Latino community is going to have a huge impact on this election. And I want to make a big point here because we really do appreciate that you took time to call during the primaries, and now we know who you are up against uh, on the Republican side, which is Troy Nels. Now, I bring this up because we have tried extensively to reach Troy Nels and the other Republican opponent when they were both against each other in the primary, and we've gotten radio silence. I bring this up then because I worry that if candidates don't speak to potential constituents while they're asking for our vote, it may be even harder, especially for the Latino community once they're elected, 
you've really been working with us. Obviously, you've got to work through your schedule and so forth, but you've been very open to speak with us. Is that going to be part of your policy if you're elected to Congress? No, absolutely. And, and by the way, I share your concern as well. You know, we've extended invitations ourselves to multiple debates uh, to our opponent, and he won't even come to meet with us to, to debate these things on the record. So uh, I, I also am concerned about that. From our perspective, the way that we organize our campaign is to try to be the most inclusive campaign ever. So we are the first campaign in America to run in 27 different languages, and obviously Spanish is at the top of the list, but we are reaching out to all immigrant communities. And in particular, we want to make sure that this isn't just a campaign about getting elected on November 3rd. This is the largest community organizing event that we've ever had here because we, what we want is the community to feel like they actually have a voice in Washington, D.C. Someone actually represents them at the highest levels of government. And the ways that we organize our community are important. And it's not just a, a broad, monolithic Hispanic community because, as you know, we are actually many communities. So... We organize our, our uh, efforts of outreach into uh, Venezuelan communities, Colombian communities, Dominican, Salvadorian, Cuban, Puerto Rican, Tejano, Mexican-American, because the ways that we organize our communities are the ways that we communicate with each other. And if your government isn't aware, if your representative doesn't even know uh, how the community is organized, how is, how is your representative going to be able to listen to you and understand what your problems are and advocate for solutions to those problems in Washington, D.C.? That. That's why community organizing is so important for us, especially in the Latino community. I do want to dwell on that a little bit because part of our Ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month campaign is to organize an event in every Houston City Council district. So that's 16 events. I say it because traditionally when Latino issues come up, people typically think of the two Latino districts with 70% Latino population, but that's important but they overlook the fact that every single Houston City Council District has a Latino population. Likewise, for Texas 22, Fort Bend has a significant Latino population. So I, I bring it up as we step into Hispanic Heritage Month. We are under this COVID-19 epidemic. People están desanimados. You got the uh, annual fest Fiestas Patrias Parade has been canceled. On that note, this really seems important to, to cater more to Latino issues. And let's take on education. Now, mm -hmm. on, on the national level, you've got a president threatening to defund schools that don't open during a pandemic, which is affecting the Latino community profoundly. And on the ground here in Texas, over 52% of the 5.2 public school students are Latino, and they're getting missed messages about going to school, not going to school, and that's if they're not falling through the cracks, and that's if they have access to the internet. This is a huge issue. In your role in congressman, if you win, how would you wrap your hands around this issue? Uh, absolutely, and, and let me just start by saying, you, know, you talked about um, the Hispanic majority districts in, in the city of Houston, for example, but our, our district, the Texas 22nd Congressional District, which goes from Katy in the north down to Richmond and uh, Rosenberg and then from Sugarland to Pearland, Stafford, Missouri City, um, Manville, all the way to Friendswood and Clear Lake. That, that district is actually 27% Latino at this point. And unfortunately, for years, the Latino community has been underserved and underrepresented. It has not been reached out to. So we have to make an even greater effort 
to make up for the, those years of being underserved. And in particular, with regards to education, we know that there are educational disparities, there are disparities in income. Uh, in, in our district where, you know, one out of every four people is Latino, the Latino community has the highest rate of poverty among any of those uh, communities. And so we, we need to recognize that and, and do what we can to try and address those disparities. Education uh, also shows that disparity. I mean, you should not have a different educational opportunity based on what zip code you grow up in, what language is spoken at home, what your ethnicity is. Everybody deserves equal opportunity in this country to uh, make a prosperous life for themselves and their family. And the idea that we would cut off, cut off funding for education during a pandemic, uh, I just, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. You'd have to ask uh, the president and his administration why they would even threaten that. But it seems to me the opposite. Uh, we should be supporting our teachers. We should be supporting our students right now in this very, very difficult time. And, uh, you know, while I realize uh, mo- most of the uh, education funding actually comes from the state, the federal government has a role in that, too, because we need to support our state and local governments whose budgets have been hit just as hard as other sectors right now. And they're the ones who employ all of these people within the state, and then they provide services like education. Um, people have asked me, what is my position? on school opening or closing or hybrid. And my position is this. We shouldn't have politicians making these decisions for our children based on their ideology, whether they're Republican or Democrat. We should actually be listening to public health experts and then set those standards. If we have a standard for decreasing number of cases of COVID, decreasing number of deaths of COVID, decreasing use use of hospitals, and we don't hit those standards, we shouldn't just change those standards because of our political party. We should put the health of our children and our families first. And I'm going to do that in Congress by listening to the experts and then following the, the science, not, not the partisan politics. I think people are really tired of these partisan politics. We need to come together when we face this challenge. And I think that's the way that we overcome the challenge by actually basing our decisions in science and recognizing that, that partisan politics has no place here. That profound overview seems like what's called for because we really can't separate all these issues. You mentioned poverty. We're touching on education. I want to now lead into COVID-19 because that's had a disproportional impact on the Latino community because of some of the factors you alluded to, including poverty. What are your thoughts on how COVID-19 precautions and safety issues should be addressed and going forward, how should that be implemented in the Latino community? Sure. So, I mean, the first thing is we need to look at the common sense measures, some of which have still not been adopted that would actually make a real impact on this pandemic. And so I mean things like like masks. You know, I, I've served as a foreign service officer all over the world in places like Iraq and Russia and Israel and Taiwan. And in many of these places, they, they've had uh, fewer deaths per capita. They, um, they have lower unemployment right now because they're wearing masks. Right? So we have to understand that, uh, as opposed to what my opponent said, for example, he said that mask orders are communist, not American. What I say is that masks save lives. They can save the lives of our family members. My mother lives with me, and she's scared of getting coronavirus at 68 years old. She wants me to wear a mask. We, we should be doing this as a matter of respect for other people. Secondly, we need to make sure that we are doing testing and rapid testing, because if you have to go, to, or go home from work and wait for 7 to 10 days, for the results of your coronavirus test to come back. And you, you don't know if your results are the same a week later. You may have been exposed in the meantime. 
that doesn't allow you to go back to work. And so we need to have rapid testing within a few hours available so we can get people back to work, especially people like, like the Hispanic community, which is one of the most hardworking communities in America. Uh, we need to give people that opportunity to work. But the, the issues and in, in the way that the uh, coronavirus has impacted our health, it goes deeper than that because even before the pandemic, we had massive disparity in healthcare. Um, so, for example, you say tied into poverty. The Hispanic community in our district has four times the average poverty rate of the rest of the community. And so when we did not expand Medicaid here, that disproportionately affected the health of the Hispanic community here. That means that children and families don't have the same health care access in the Hispanic community as other groups. And so I think it's immoral and unconscionable that certain governors did not expand Medicaid access because that's, again, playing political games with the health of our families and the, the lives of people in the state. I, I just don't, I don't think that that's, that's moral or just. And so we, we need to make sure that we address those disparities, which are all connected to each other. And we need to have a healthcare system that is equitable for everyone so that we don't see these kind of disparities going into the future after we solve the pandemic. Those, those are some major nuances to a major issue that has life and death implications. I really wish that the you know, your opponent were open to talking these out. Uh, is there are there debates scheduled? Because I, I can't even do any follow up questions because it just leads to more and more and more issues. It sounds like it needs a more uh, uh, it needs more time and energy, like a, maybe a debate would provide. So, are you guys going to debate? So, um, we have actually offered and accepted uh, invitations to multiple debates. I think four debates already. Um, we want these issues to come out. Uh, in the public, and we want people to be able to look at the record. Uh, unfortunately, our opponent has not agreed to any of these, wow. and uh, fr frankly, it's concerning to me because I think the public deserves to know, uh, the community de deserves to know who is trying to represent them, what is their record. You know, a, a lot of a lot of these things and my policies are actually just based on my own experience growing up. You know, I was I was the son of an immigrant. I started out life in a two bedroom apartment with nine people in it uh, when I was 18 years old. My, my father got acute myositic leukemia. I had to come home from college and take care of him and do his physical therapy and his IVs, take him back and forth to the hospital. And when he passed away, I was 19 years old, the oldest of four children. My family was left on the point of bankruptcy. So I had to work my way through college at the same time that I was helping my mother to raise my younger sibling. That, that's where this comes from. It's, these aren't abstract ideas. It's the lived experience of people in our community every day. And I hear these stories again and again from people where, where medical costs have, have completely destroyed their family or even bankrupted them. It's continuing to happen. And right now, right now, this year, 650,000 people across Texas have lost their health care just this year, just during the pandemic. In our district, Texas 22, 40,000 people have lost their health care. And the Republican Party is suing right now to take away health care from millions more people, to take, take away the Affordable Care Act, to take away the, the Medicaid expansion and the protection for pre-existing conditions that we already have. And I just, I can't understand why they would continue during the pandemic to try and attack our health care. And I, I wish my opponent would come out and answer for this, but why, why would you want to take away health care from people? Or, or for, for that matter, an answer for his record on a number of other things. You know, does he, does he support equal education? I had to bus across town to get a better public education when, when I was growing up here? Does he support uh, equal access to education or the criminal justice system for that matter? 
Um, you know, he, he's the chief law enforcement officer here, the sheriff of this county. Um, why is it that there, there are disparities here in the way that criminal justice uh, is, is done? Why, why are there problems in the jails with uh, people who are suing for being sexually assaulted hundreds of times? Um, you know, why, why, are, why are these things not being discussed? So I guess that's the question. Well, and, you know, I'm trying to be fair, but on the other hand, it is offensive that he won't address these issues because they shape our daily lives. And again, in Fort Bend, Latinos have not only been ignored, I really want to ask him about the, the racial profiling from his officers because it has been archived and reported that under his watch, Latinos have been profiled by his, his officers. And, and that is so serious on top of all the other issues. You've heard about that. What are your thoughts on, on the reports that you've heard? So I, I did, I did read that report. I've seen it in the news. Um, and if, if those allegations are true, it's very disturbing. I think what I saw was that over 95% of the people who were randomly stopped were Hispanic. And, and the, the problem with that is that, I mean, as we've seen this year, I mean, this, this entire issue of fair policing has uh, captivated the entire country after the, the murder of George Floyd, which we all witnessed, and then we, we buried George Floyd in our district here in Pearland. People are concerned because we, what we want is for the police to be able to know their communities and the community to be able to know and trust the police who are serving them because that makes both the police and the community safer. And when you see that, um, that, that there's a disparate treatment of a certain group, if, if it is true that over 95% of the people stopped uh, were Hispanic, why is it? Why, why would that be the case that you would um, specifically target uh, certain groups of, of people? That What that means is that the community then doesn't trust their police as much, and the police can't trust the community to come to them because um, that, that lack of trust goes both ways. And so... I think the best way uh, to do um, policing is through community-oriented policing. That's the kind of uh, that's the kind of approach that was used actually in the Obama administration, where uh, police officers spend more time in the community. They get to know the community. I mean, even if you don't speak Spanish, you know, like I, I, I speak Spanish, but you don't have to speak Spanish to be able to come out and and walk the community, get to understand com- the community's concerns, listen to community leaders. That's how you actually build up that trust. That's how you build safe spaces because that's the overall goal. We want to have safe communities for our children to grow up in and to, to raise our families. That's, that's the whole point of uh, building up this trust with the police officers, which has been degraded by instances like this. And it appears to be very irresponsible to be a law enforcement officer running for public office to not address this, especially not just in the wake of the George Floyd tragedy, but just yesterday, the video of the killing of Nicholas Chavez by HPD officers who got fired, that happened yesterday. So here you have someone who presumes to represent people. You know, I'm going to take it to my listeners, to our constituents, our activists. I got to find out if they're fine with that or not. And again, you know, uh, like I say, I'm going to get off that topic only because this is one of several topics that we've touched on that demand a, a more profound discussion, be it at debates or interviews. Uh, I'm going to, I'm trying, I don't want to get too bad. I'm going to tone it down a little bit here, but, but not exactly because we've talked about some extenuating examples, some extremes. Let's talk about some subtleties. 
So today is the launch of Hispanic Heritage Month. Some people mm -hmm. will not make a big deal about it for different reasons. Um, I hate when people are surprised that it's, it's rolled up again. Uh, but some people will use the excuse of COVID-19, and sometimes it's a legitimate case. We are going out of our way to organize Hispanic heritage events throughout the city and county. Let me ask, let me ask you the softball question, because I don't see anything happening right now through uh, your opponent's office to acknowledge Latino history and culture as we begin Hispanic Heritage Month. Let me ask you this, Shri. Is Hispanic Heritage Month a big deal or not? So, for me, the month of Herencia Hispanic significa celebrar la cultura de los Hispanos Americanos aquí en los Estados Unidos, la segunda comunidad hispana más grande en el mundo. Significa reconocer las contribuciones de los hispanos, hispanos americanos a los Estados Unidos. Significa reconocer que la historia de los hispanos es una parte integral de la historia de nuestro país. Y más que todo significa enseñarle a la nueva generación que vivimos en un país diverso, donde hablar otro idioma es estar orgullosos de una herencia que no nos divide, más bien nos une y enriquece la cultura americana, porque América, Estados Unidos, los Estados Unidos, grandiosa por su diversidad, no a pesar de eso. Fantastic. Uh, that's awesome to hear Spanish on our airwaves. <laughs> Someone running for office. Um, I, I can't resist saying that, hey, I don't know if uh, uh, if your opponent speaks Spanish or English because he hasn't called back. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I tell you what, uh, with the airtime we would have given him, anything we have overlooked that you want our listeners to know, Shri? Well, I, I would just like to say that um, this election in particular, I think there's no doubt that it is the most important election of our lifetime. Literally. We have almost 200,000 people dead across the country. We have one in six small businesses which have failed in the country. 40,000 people in our district alone have lost their health care, and children do not know if they're going to get a good education or not. The stakes couldn't be any higher, but if there's, if there's any community who can make a difference, it, it is the Hispanic, the Latino community this year, because um, we know that the, the Latino community is the most hardworking. They've invested in our society. Um, the Latino community is an integral part of, of, of the United States of Texas and Texas 22. But if we don't show up to vote, then other people will make those decisions for us. And all of the things we see around us, we, we have to think, why are we experiencing this right now? If we participated more, if we actually show up, and, and voting starts very soon. Vote by mail starts um, at, at the end of September. Uh, early voting starts October 13th. And I encourage everybody to go out and, and go out and early vote October 13th, because this is a year where we can actually make a difference. We can finally have representation, true representation from all of our communities, because we need to have a voice from each one of our communities. Our communities all have to have a seat at the table here, and we have to, have to base things on solving problems, on listening to experts, and not being divided by Republican versus Democrat, or right versus left. We, we have to focus on the things that unite us as a country. That's how we're gonna rise and defeat the greatest challenge of our lifetime. We have been talking with Shri Kulkarni, who's running for Congress, U.S. House, Texas District 22. Not only does he call us back, but he throws down in Spanish. Gracias, Shri. 
De nada, de nada, mi amigo. Por eso quiéreme mientras se pueda. Que la vida es una rueda que te da mil vueltas, al final nada queda. No he visto la primera historia de que alguien se muere y algo se lleva. Yeah. Y lo mejor de esta historia es que tú eres mi compañero. De esta vida pasajera. Aunque te quiera para la eternidad Todo en la vida tiene su principio y su final Tú y yo no somos la excepción, no te sientas mal Y si me voy que seas feliz antes de llorar Antes de que termine Quiero que conmigo camines Que nuestra historia la pongan en todos los cines Amando nota que los años no dominen Tú y yo toda la noche bailando el mundo se nos queda mirando Yo quiero envejecer despertando Viendo el sol en tu cara brillando Lo que pidas te lo doy Tragao de ti estoy Si mañana no estamos, disfrutamos hoy Tus amigas saben que nos enamoramos Y que de tu corazón el dueño soy Quiereme mientras se pueda la vida es una rueda que te da mil vueltas, al final nada queda. No he visto la primera historia de que alguien se muere y algo se lleva. Y lo mejor de esta historia es que tú eres mi compañera de esta vida pasajera. Julián Turizo Manuel Turizo Bullnet Flow Music Ear Camp La industria La razón no está piquete mi amor